0: Philippians chapter 2, it talks about the uh, uh, verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was in in Christ Jesus. It must be possible to have the same mind that Jesus had. Let this mind, and uh, some others just point out, uh, have the same attitude that Jesus had. Same mind, same way of thinking, same attitude. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant the form of a servant. So the mind of a servant uh, or the attitude of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself, which you'd call this the second humbling, he humbled himself further. He humbled himself to leave heaven. And uh, then he humbled himself even further uh, to become obedient unto death and not just any kind of death. He humbled himself to be obedient to the death of the cross to die uh, on the cross, crucifixion. Uh, verse 9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, wherefore my beloved as you've always obeyed, not it is in my presence only, but also now, now much more in my absence, Paul is saying, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with y'all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. So Paul is talking about Jesus offering his life, then we should have the same mind that Jesus had. And that mind really is the mind or the attitude of a servant and keeping an attitude of a servant. And uh, you could read in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 to 27, where Jesus said, He that is greatest among you would be the servant of all. So if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you just have to be a servant. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God. And notice, he didn't say there was anything wrong with the desire to be great. Sometimes people say, well, you shouldn't even desire to be great. No. He's not saying that. I think you should desire to be great. Isn't that right? Because even James and John went and approached Jesus concerning who's going to get to sit on the right and who's going to sit on the left. And Jesus said, well, that's possible. And then Jesus didn't even rebuke them for asking. What they were wanting is they want to be as close to Jesus as possible. <laughs> they want to be like him. And so all Jesus said, well, is if, you want, if you want that position, you'll have to drink of the same cup that I drink of. So it's a lot of times people want position without drinking the cup. And so if you want the position, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then he said, you'll have to be a servant. So Paul really is giving you the path to greatness in the kingdom of God. And it is possible to be great in the kingdom of God. And so he said, if you want to be great, Jesus said, you'll have to be the servant of all here again uh, Paul says, let this attitude be in you, the same attitude that was in Jesus, and that was an attitude of a servant. And if, you, if you've ever been to uh, uh, Piccadilly, you know that they're trained to ask you, serve you. That's what they say. Serve you. How can I serve you? And so in the kingdom of God, if you want to be great, that's the way you become great, is by really just improving your serve. Improving your serve. If you want to be great in tennis, you have to improve your serve. But if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to improve your serve. If you want to be great in ping pong, you have to improve your serve. You have to be good. You've got to learn how to serve. And so if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, now if you just want to be mediocre, then you just keep going on doing whatever you want to do. But if you want to get the attention of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you want to get the attention of guys who wrote the Bible. The Apostle Paul talked about a couple in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And it says, they have addicted themselves unto the ministry of the saints. Huh? Y'all know that's in the Bible? Sure it's in the Bible. He's talking about they have addicted themselves to serving. They're addicted to serving. That means they've got to have a fix. So I've got to have a fix. I'm addicted to serving. I've got to serve. And he's talking about serving the saints or serving, finding a place to serve in the body of Christ. And uh, as I said earlier, you, you do not really inherit the anointing by only studying it. Didn't I say that before? That the way you get the move of God, you don't get it just by studying it. And you, you can become an expert in and, and noticing the way it moves this way and that way and saying, oh yeah, you know, that's, that's the move of God. Even uh, in Elisha's day, uh, the, the guys that were... were uh, in the school of the prophets, they were pretty smart and they must have been somewhat dedicated because at least they're going to Bible school. Is that right? They're in the school and they do want to know God, but even the guys in the school of the prophet did not catch the anointing that Elisha did. What was the difference between Elisha? And the rest of the guys in the school of the prophets. Well, the guys in the school of the prophets, they they knew what was gonna happen. They said, We know Elijah's gonna be taken from you. We recognize the miracles. We know God's the one that does all that. And and there but Elisha went a step further. And Elisha poured hands on poured hands. Poured water. <laughs> he might have laid hands on. I don't know how he got all the hands. But he poured, he poured water. What's it say? He ministered unto Elijah and he poured water on his hands. That means that, that, that Elisha took the attitude of a what? A servant. Now, how much did he serve? Well, he must have been willing to do just anything. That he's serving the man of God, and in serving the man of God, he's serving the move of God. And a lot of times people say, Well, I ain't gonna serve no man. I'm only gonna serve Jesus. Well, the problem is Jesus ain't here. He's in heaven. <laughs> and Jesus has those that he has designated for places of leadership. And to serve him, you're going to have to serve them. Is that right? Now, I'll show you that just a little bit later here. But uh, here I was going to read in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15, where I, he said, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanas, and that is of the first fruits of Achaia, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They have addicted themselves into the ministry of the saints. Or they've addicted themselves to servanthood. They love to serve the body of Christ. They love to serve the body of Christ. So whether you're serving the ministry gifts or you're serving the body of Christ, you're just serving. You realize who you're really serving when you're serving the body of Christ. You're serving Jesus. Am that right? That you're serving the Lord. And so it says they addicted themselves. To serving. And then verse 16, Paul says that you submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. So he's really given them an apostolic uh, order to submit to who? The house of Stephanus. Isn't that right? He says you submit to them because they're, they're helping us. And there'll be a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I'd submit to Paul if he is here. Paul said, no, you submit to Stephanus because he's the one that is, is addicted to serving and he's been faithful. Now you do what he tells you to do. Somebody said, no, I ain't going to do, I'm going to do what the Lord tells me to do. He said to do what Stephanus told you to do. <laughs> is that right? Amen. And so there, are, there is a chain of command and Paul's literally giving them delegated authority there in that church and telling them to submit to them. Isn't that right? So go right back over to Philippians chapter two and we'll get on a little further here. But we're talking about serving, having the attitude of a servant, the mind of a servant, and serving in uh, the house of God, serving in the body of Christ. So we, we have to have some pattern for this because Paul says, Jesus, with the attitude of a servant, he left heaven. And he is God manifest in the flesh. And though he's equal with God, he refused to just say, well, I'm equal with God and I don't have to do that. But he humbled himself and took on the form, not just of a man, but took on the form of a servant. And then after he took on the form of a servant, then he humbled himself further unto death. And then he says, let this same attitude be in you. Praise God. Hallelujah. So if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you got to do what? You've got to serve. You don't get the move of God by just studying it. You have got to serve. Now, now, when you're talking about serving, most of you have been to a restaurant, and some people serve you, and then some people serve you. And then some people serve you well, and then some people do only the, the minimum necessary just so they don't get fired. And then some people serve you, but they just got a bad attitude while they're serving you. You think Jesus came down here and he's serving, but he says, oh, no. He says, there you are again. Oh, I just have to do this. God made me leave heaven. Come down here. Just put up with you. No, Jesus served with an attitude of a servant. The attitude of a servant is not the attitude of a sergeant. Thank you for your enthusiasm. It said he had the attitude of a servant, not the attitude of a sergeant. Now, here's the thing in the body of Christ. Now, Richard was in the military and he just uh, came on staff here. And of course, he went to Bible school for two years. And so now he's going to take over some areas of leadership. And then then Richard's helping in a lot of areas. But anyway, uh, uh, Richard, you know, he's in the military. So he did learn something about authority. But the only problem is that in the church, you have volunteers. You don't have the same edge as you would in the military because in the military, either you do what they're telling you to do or you go to prison or you get a dishonorable discharge or you just get shot. (laughs) That does provide a little added motivation Now, if we could do that in the church that way, wouldn't that be nice? You want to go to the brig right over there? We'll lock you up. You want to talk back? You want to skip out on You want to be AWOL? Absent without leave? Boy, wouldn't that be great? Man, we could have people marching in lines, shining their boots and everything. But in the kingdom of God, you're not really, you can't run things like the United States Army because you're working with people. Volunteers, and you can't threaten to shoot them. You'd like to, so I'm gonna shoot you right <laughs> You didn't show up. Why didn't you show up? And so uh, you got to work with people that it is a voluntary submission. But realizing there still is an an order of authority that is over you, but it's a, it's a voluntary submission. Nobody can make you do that. And so for you to have the right attitude. You have to realize that, that you're serving the Lord and that he's the one that's going to bring you up. That promotion comes from God and you just submit to him. Say, okay, Lord, I'm going to serve and I'm going to get my attitude right. I'm not just going to serve, but I'm going to serve with a happy attitude. huh? How do you like to go into a restaurant and have the waitress come over and say, well, what you want to eat? You tell them, and they start telling you about all their problems. I tell you, this has been the worst day of my life. My dog got hit by a car right before I came to work, and then I come in here and slam my finger, and the oven fell over. And t- you went out just to have a nice meal. <laughs> and they're unloading on you all the stuff. My wife, she's a sorry, no good for nothing, and they start running their wife. They just go on and on. Would you like to go back to that restaurant and listen to that? No, you wouldn't like to listen to that. And yet a lot of times people serving in church, then they'll bring all their personal problems in here. And really, uh, people just came out for a nice meal. I said, people just came out for a nice meal. Praise God. Can you just keep things nice for a while? People came out for a nice meal. They want to hear the word. Amen. They want to be served up the anointing. They want to be served up some filet mignon instead of oatmeal again. But sometimes the pastor he don't have time to get no fillet mignon cuz he's having to do everything else. He know all he's doing. That's why they all they ever gets another bowl of oatmeal at most churches because the pastor have no time to come up with no recipes. All right, let's go on here. <laughs> So when you serve, you have to work on your attitude of serving. And you have to realize that, that even though everybody's equal in the sense that we all have equal access to God, but that everybody doesn't serve on the same level. We're all servants, but we don't all serve on the same level. I can prove that to you from Acts chapter 6 and verse 2. In Acts chapter 6 verse 2, uh, the apostles, that's when they came up with what you'd call the ministry of helps or deacons. And a deacon, they were not a governing part of the church. They were a serving part of the church. And when they came up with deacons in Acts chapter 2, they said, it is not proper for us to leave the word of God and to leave prayer and to serve tables. You say, well, well, you think you're too good to be serving tables? You think you shouldn't be out there doing all that stuff? Well, the, the, the truth probably is they probably already did that at one point in their life. But they said, because we are to be serving the word of God, we cannot be serving tables, not just to, to prove our humility. You got to prove your humility. I'd you like to go up to Rama, and here you got Brother Hagin up there and he says, well, I just want to prove I'm not better than nobody else. And he'd be out there vacuuming after he'd been teaching for an hour and laid hands on 200 people. He's vacuuming and then he's out there and he got the lawnmower out the next day. Let me tell you this. If he was doing that, you never would have heard of him. Because there wouldn't be no Ramo. Because he still serves, but he just doesn't serve on that level. He serves the word and the anointing and then other people step up in their place and serve for however long. If you serve as a deacon, you serve in the ministry of helps. And here, uh, Paul is just talking about the attitudes Jesus had and then Paul goes on and he says uh, in verse 17, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. In other words, Paul said, I just lay my life down to serve your faith. He said, and I'm happy to do it when I see your faith grow. Isn't that right? And then let's look at these supernatural relationships here, and we're going to study one aspect of it about serving uh, the, the move of God rather than just studying it. And look at verse 19. Let's read Philippians 2. We're going to read a few more verses down here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. He said, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. All seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Verse 22. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Here, Paul's talking about sending Timothy. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish reading this in just a second, but let's, let's go on here. He says, uh, for all seek their own. He said, I'm going to send Timothy to you. He said, because I have no man like-minded. He said, I don't have anybody else that thinks more like me than Timothy. Now, how did Timothy get to think like Paul? Well, you're going to see. We're going to look at some other scriptures, how he got to think like Paul. He hung out around Paul long enough. To where he, Paul said, he thinks just like me. He said, matter of fact, I could send him to you. And he'd say the same thing I'd say. He said, I don't have anybody that thinks just like me except Timothy. He said, I, he's like-minded. He'd be preaching the same thing to you. He don't even have to come up with his own sermons. He'd be preaching the same things I preach. Hmm? He'd have the same anointing, wouldn't he? Is that right? And so he says... Uh, who will naturally care for your state. He said, for, for all seek their own, not the things that are Jesus Christ. He said, a lot of people are just saying, well, uh, how's this going to be to my advantage? Instead, Timothy thinks like Paul, and how's this going to be to the advantage of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God? All right, go on, verse 22. For you know the proof of him that as a son with the father he hath what? He hath served with me in the gospel. And so that's how Timothy got to think like Paul. And that's how Paul got the confidence in him because Timothy proved proved his faithfulness. Through what? Serving. All right, let's go ahead and finish reading the rest of this chapter, because all of it's good, and we'll come back to verse 22 in a second. Verse 23. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so as soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I I myself shall come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, uh, but your messenger that he ministered to my wants. Well, that sounds a little different, doesn't it? He says, now I'm going to send you Epaphroditus. He is my brother. He is my companion in labor. And he is a fellow soldier. And he is your messenger. And he ministered to my what? He said, Epaphroditus just found out, Paul, what do you want? How can I serve you? How can I serve you? and so he said that's what Epaphroditus did go on verse 26 he says for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because you had heard that he had been sick for indeed he was sick nigh to death but God had mercy on him and not on him only but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow I send him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Now what he's saying is that Epaphroditus served extra hard because you didn't. Now, not only they didn't, but really, they really couldn't in this case because they weren't close to him at that point. But Epaphroditus served, and Epaphroditus had to take up the slack so much serving that it almost killed him. He literally almost worked himself to death. Isn't that right? And so, how many y'all still here? So Paul tells you how Epaphroditus worked. He's a brother, he's a companion. He's a worker, he's a laborer. And he says this, he says, when you receive him, receive him and be happy to see him. Be happy to see him and hold him in high reputation. Epaphroditus. Now how in the world did he get that kind of, how did he get that kind of entrance? How how did Paphroditus get that kind of entrance? He got it from serving Paul. Isn't that right? He's serving with him in the gospel. And so Paul just says, you receive him, be glad to see him, and hold him in high esteem and high reputation. He said, I'm telling you how to treat him. Now, we're going to look at some other scriptures here, but let's go right back here. I'm going to read this in the Amplified, Philippians chapter 2, verse 22. And we're going to look a little bit about this, uh, this, um, rep man, this relationship that uh, uh, Paul and Timothy had. All right? Y'all got your Bible still? All right, let's read this uh, in the Amplified Bible in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. It's an Amplified Bible. He says, For I have no one like him, no one of so kindred a spirit, who will be so genuinely in- interested in your welfare and devoted to your interest. For the others all seek to advance their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ the Messiah, verse 22. But Timothy's tested worth, you know, how as a son with his father, he has toiled with me zealously in serving and helping to advance the good news of the gospel. Timothy's tested worth is he has, as a son with his father, he has toiled with me zealously in serving and helping to advance the good news. He said, uh, he's got the same spirit. Same mind, praise God, and to do that you gotta get close enough to serve, and then when you get close enough to serve, then you gotta be close enough to pass uh what I call the the familiarity to the faithfulness test, huh. You've got to be close enough to serve and pass from being just familiar with somebody. And then you hold them in that place and realize that here Paul was, was as a, a spiritual father. Now go over to 1 Corinthians. Uh, let's read this verse over here in 1 Corinthians and then we'll jump into some more. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and uh, I think it's verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14, 15, 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons to warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me be you followers of me. Now look at verse 17. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, uh, he again calls Timothy, his beloved son, who will bring you my ways, which be in Christ, and what I teach everywhere, Timothy will bring you and teach you the same thing. All right? Let's see if I can get this in the Amplified Bible real quickly here. Hallelujah. Praise God. Uh, This is the Amplified Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, verse 16. uh, Paul said, uh, I I beseech you, be ye followers of me or imitate me. Really, he's just talking about uh, learning to follow the leader. Verse 15, verse amplified, 1 Corinthians 4:15 amplified. After all, though you should have 10,000 teachers, guides to direct you in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the glad tidings of the gospel. So I urge and implore you to be imitators of me. For this very cause I sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and trustworthy child in the Lord, who will recall to your minds my methods of proceeding, and course of conduct, way of life in Christ, such as I teach everywhere and in each of the churches. Hallelujah. Now, uh, he says that Timothy, he said, is my beloved son. So let's look at this real quickly about a relationship. And in the world, you'd just call this mentoring, wouldn't you? Someone that would be your mentor or someone that you would follow close enough to where that you could learn their trade as a mentor or you could you know really sometimes that's really the difference between success and failure is just having a mentor and there's a lot of people in the ministry that really they're only one step away if they just had a spiritual father they'd be able to do the will of God Elisha when Elijah went up remember when Elijah went up what did Elisha cry out anybody know what did he say He didn't say, my teacher, my teacher. Uh, He said, my father, my father. (laughs) Now, Timothy, Timothy had a relationship with Paul where literally he, he served him like a spiritual father. Now, you know, you're not trying to make some, some, uh, some doctrine out of something that is, that would uh, contradict the word of God. But we're just showing you something that's right in the middle of the word of God. Actually, uh, uh, the scripture talks about honoring your father and your mother. Now, you honor your father and your mother. He said, that's the first commandment that has a promise with it. If you'll honor your father and your mother, he said, it'll be well with you and you'll live a long life. Now, if you'll read that over in Ephesians where it says, honor your father and your mother. Now, you know, every one of y'all got a dad and a mom, don't you? And y'all had any perfect parents? No, and you're not a perfect kid either. And when you had kids, you found out you found out that all kids. You can't raise them. It's difficult to raise. You've been difficult to raise yourself too. And you, so you may criticize your parents, but when you get kids, all that criticism just begins uh, from 30 to 40 To 50, the criticism gets less and less. From 20, 30, 40, 50. By the time you get to be 60, you're just glad they're still alive and you can't remember nothing. But, but, you know, I honor them. You learn. It's kind of like one of the, one of the, the, the uh, uh, Adam Sandler was on a TV program. He's a comedian, but he had a girlfriend that was mocking him because he liked to call his mother every day. And he'd call her just to see how she's doing. And so his girlfriend's making fun of him and said, why don't you call? Well, and so Adam Sandler just said, uh, he said, well, I'll tell you this. My mother raised me from the time I was a child. Now, I'm not going to be gross here, but you understand this is, this is what he said, and I'm just going to kind of let you know what he said. She raised me as a child. <laughs> he said, and she took care of parts of me that I've taken care of, and it's not pleasant. <laughs> and I know she did that for years for me. He said... <laughs> So don't be criticizing my mama. (laughs) See, and a lot of people don't realize, you know, they get up to 12 and they get just, some people hang around the ministry just long enough to get an anointing or get some revelation and they forget who is wiping their behind. (laughs) And that's just as dishonorable as you would do your parents that they're taking care of you and feeding you and wiping your nose and taking care of you and, and, and then you get up to be about 17 or 18, all you can think of is some way to criticize them. The Bible says that's dishonorable. And you dishonor your parents, it won't be well with you. The same thing is true spiritually as it is naturally. Even though your parents may not have done everything right, you better honor them. You better find some way to honor them and to bless them. And the older you get, the more you realize that, don't you? I said, the older I get, the more I realize it. And I'm not blind either. I mean, I know. I know. I I see their faults as much as anybody. But that's my business. Ain't none of yours, and you better stay out of it. (laughs) Ain't that right? And so, so honoring your father and your mother, and so the same thing is true spiritually. And Elisha learned how to do that with Elijah to the point that he was able to catch the anointing so that he not only got the anointing, but he got a double portion. And what, Elijah, what Elisha was asking from Elijah, he said, what do you want? He said, I want double portion. Isn't that right? And Elijah said, you've asked a difficult thing. You don't get that casually. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you can't just go to Jesus and say, Lord, I want to sit on your right, and I want to sit on your left, and my brother wants to sit over here. And Jesus is going to tell you, if you want that position, you're going to have to drink this cup to get it. In other words, you're going to have to humble yourself to become a servant and have the attitude of a servant. And then the second thing, you're going to have to humble yourself under death. Now, I'm going to say this. A lot of people want Abraham's blessings, but, but Abraham had to leave Ur of Chaldees. A lot of times people say, well, I just want Abraham's blessing. Ooh, Abraham, God made him rich. God did this. and Abraham's blessing is mine. Well, first of all, you, you don't get Abraham's blessing with Thomas's faith. Second of all, God came to Abraham and said, get you out of your country and this, this surrounding get out I'm going to show you where to go he didn't even know where to go and Abraham came home told his wife pack it up said we're gone he left the place where his father had settled packed him up and left and here and you know and so why I want that kind of blessing and most people you can't get them to you can't get them to even leave oh don't get me started now they won't even leave some old dead dry church. They'd rather sit there and rot than to leave her or Chaldees. Huh? When you gotta when you gotta move, when God says to go, you just got to move. And so here, you want that kind of blessing, you you got to be willing to pack it up. You know, when the Lord spoke to me, man, we had to leave West Columbia, Texas, and I was living three blocks from my mom and dad. My little kids, I mean, Aaron and Alicia, they're living close to their cousins. We said, pack it up. I'm living on a golf course, you understand? With guards and swimming pools. Pack it up, come to Alexandria, where we're we gonna go. Don't we well, going to go do not we got to go over there? Kids crying, All right, pack it up. We can make it up. Pack it up. God said time to go. Here we go. And <laughs> started moving. You leave it leave leave the past behind, leave something dead behind, and just move on with God. Huh? Anybody think Elisha did anything like that? Man, that anointing hit Elisha. When Elijah slapped him with that mantle, what did Elisha do? Elisha went home and he killed his oxen and had a barbecue. That's pretty radical, isn't it? Whoa, I don't know. I don't know. He say, I don't know. If this don't work, I'm in big trouble. (laughs) How many of you know, if this don't work, I'm in big trouble. And here he comes. Here he comes getting close to Elijah, and he's wanting that double portion of anointing. He's wanting to drink that cup. He knows there's a price to pay. He knows it. He's paying that price right now. He's paying. He's leaving everything behind. And he hooked up with Elijah. And here's what Elijah said. Elijah said, what have I done unto you? The Lord told him to slap him with that mantle. <clears throat> he hit him with that mantle. And Elisha went <laughs> like that. And he ran around his oxen. I don't know what he did. He jumped up. I'm going to tell you, when the anointing hits you, you know it hits you. You know, uh, e- Elisha, he, he must have lost his mind. The anointing make you lose your mind. He must have lost his mind. And here he, he goes. He says, what have I done unto you? And here's what a, a, a Elijah told Elisha. What have I done unto you? He knew what he did to him. But he didn't know if he's going to be willing to pay the price. You see, God could say you're the right person. But unless you say you're the right person, it still won't work. You see, there's a number of people the Lord spoke to me about uh, in years gone by. And the staff and the Lord speaking to me and say, that's the right person right there. And I'd go tell them, say, you're the right person for the job. And either they'd say no right off, or they wouldn't develop the attitude of a servant, or they'd decide they weren't the right person. And I'd say, well, Lord, what's the deal He said, they had to make that choice. Elijah told Elisha, he said, what have I done to you? Another translation says, you settle it for yourself. So anybody comes to me and says, well, am I supposed to do this or that? You know what I do is I look at him and say, you settle it for yourself. Because when the going gets tough, I don't want you saying, I told you what to do. I'm not telling you what to do. And the going will get tough. I said, the going will get tough. There's some blessing there, but the going's going to get tough. And as long as I got to talk to you, you know, talk you into something, then every time you get in trouble, you have to have me talk you up again. Look, I just don't have time for that. I don't believe Elijah had time for it. So I count the cost with every relationship. I count the cost. I know the time I got to spend with God. I know the time I got to study and pray. I know the time I got to write a book. I know the time I got to minister somewhere else. I know the time I got to minister here. And I count the cost of that relationship. And if that person keeps coming back to me, get propped up. Now, I propped you up once. I propped you up twice. I propped you up three times. I propped you up four times. I propped you up five times. Now, I'm going to tell you, at some point, you're going to have to learn to prop yourself up. And that's what I believe God liked about David. is here. David, everybody's ready to kill him. And David just went and encouraged himself. He said, you're going to be all right. Hallelujah. You got the right stuff. I mean, y'all know you need to, you need to prop yourself up sometimes. Just encourage yourself. You know the hand of God's on you. You say, well, I had a problem. Yeah, but you know God knew that before he ever called you. And he still called you anyway. And he still loves you and got a plan for you. Hallelujah. Now, just talk to yourself a while. Prop yourself up. Hallelujah. So I count the cost after I do that a number of times. I say, look, you're costing me more that you're making me leave the word of God. And you're making me leave my place of serving the Lord. Now you're costing me too much now. Now you can straighten up and grow up a notch, or you have to go find somebody else to baby you for the next 10 years, cause it ain't gonna be me. Getting quiet in here now, but this is a leadership meeting. If you're going to have to have pampers, you're in the wrong meeting here. <laughs> you're in the wrong meeting here. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because this is a meeting where you say, I can put my own britches on. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. And I know, last week we taught that every leader, whenever you come upon a spark or a difficult situation, you've got two buckets in your hand. You've got a bucket of water, you can put it out. Or you've got a bucket of gasoline, you can make a fire. Every leader's got two buckets in their hand. And some leaders, I gotta follow them around every time. Every time they find a spark, they throw gasoline on, start a fire. I gotta follow, I gotta have a fire truck, siren and everything else, follow them around. I'd have to have a whole fire department. They say, Pastor, look at this. It's a big fire now, ain't it? Let's see if the pastor can put it out. And Bob, put it on my hammer, put it on my jacket. I can put it out. About a week later. Pastor, there's another fire over here. It's a big fire. You want to put this one out over here, pastor? I said, you're the one keep keeps putting gasoline on all of them. What's the matter with you? You got a bucket of water? Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Glory to God. So e- Elijah and Elisha in a leadership relationship now, my my spiritual father, Brother Hagin, you know, he said, well, he said, now, I'll work with somebody. He said, uh, somebody working on my staff, but if they don't do what I'm asking them to do, he said, I give them three strikes, just like baseball. Third strike, you're out. <laughs> Pretty rough, isn't it? But here, he can't go on and do the will of God if you got somebody else that hadn't quite decided whether they even want to play on the team or not. Is that Right. So what do you do in that situation? Well, you realize there's the Marines. There's the Navy SEALs. There's the Army. There's the Air Force. Then there's the post office. (laughs) Now, if you don't want to be in the Navy SEALs, let's see if you can go to the Marines. If you don't want the Marines, maybe you should consider the Army. If you don't want the Army, maybe you should go consider the post office because over here we're (laughs) going... Hallelujah. We're headed for major persecution. You say, why? Because we're headed for major glory and a major anointing. And so the Lord spoke to me years ago, and he spoke this very clearly to me. And he used my mom and dad to tell me. And I got the prophecy still on the refrigerator. And the prophecy said this. says, you've asked a hard thing. Let me ask God for something that's a hard thing. It's not hard for God. It's hard for you. (laughs) It ain't hard for God. God can do anything. It's hard for you to meet the specs or the qualifications to receive that kind of blessing. And so when you want something bigger and you're saying, I want to sit on the right or the left. Jesus says, you want to drink this cup? You take one sip and you say, do I have to drink it right now? He said, I don't want that right now. Do you want to take this? Do you want to go through, through this situation that's going to shape you and enable you to be the kind of servant that God wants you to be with the attitude he wants you to be with the same spirit of faith to be able to carry the anointing? Do you want that? Or do you want to be that kind of a servant? Well, you're going to have to drink this cup. And so that's what that prophecy said to me. You've asked a hard thing. But then the prophecy went on to say, and I do not consider it to be a light thing of what I've asked of you. That means this, baby, when you clear the hurdle, God don't take it lightly. You say, what's that mean? He's going to unload some stuff on you that other people may never see and may never get because you were willing to pay that price. And so other people are wondering, how in the world you got that kind of anointing? How in the world, you know, saw Barnabas went and got Saul. How did Barnabas ever even get into this apostolic lineup in the book of Acts? I'm going to tell you one way he got in there. It's when it was time to sacrifice for the church to go forward. Barnabas showed up. Who didn't show up? Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't show up. They just said... Well, let's make it look like we're going to show up, and then we'll give a little bit so we can get in on the club here and maybe get our name on a plaque in the foyer. And God said, just, you know, just drop dead, why don't you? <laughs> and, he, and then he went, oh. <laughs> he said, man, every time I say something, it happens. <laughs> and I said, I dropped dead. All right, how many of y'all still love me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) And so there's a price to pay for leadership and the attitude of a servant. And really, the most difficult person you'll really ever work on will be yourself. You'll have more trouble with yourself than anybody else. Isn't that right? (laughs) I said, you'll have more trouble with yourself just dealing with yourself and getting yourself lined up and keeping your attitude right and humbling yourself to serve when you don't feel like it. And then even doing serving in things that you really don't, that's not your, you don't like serving in that area. Boy, it would be great if we could all just serve just in the areas that we enjoyed. Wouldn't that be great if we could all just serve just where we liked? It's like God's always going to give you a couple of those. That you just think, this don't fit me just right. Well, you'll try a few other areas of leadership and they won't fit you right either. And the problem ain't the areas, it's you. And so God will make you be fruitful in one area that you don't like before he'll allow you to be fruitful in an area that you do like. Anybody want the Old Testament story? Y'all know the Old Testament story? What's the Old Testament story? Who got two wives? Jacob. Who'd he get? Leah. Leah. And who? Rachel. Now, he really wanted Rachel, didn't he? He worked seven years. Going that's true love. He works seven years. Well, <laughs> that is something, isn't it? Jacob, he works seven years to get Rachel. Seven years. And then when he goes to get married, when he does the vows and he lifts that veil up. <laughs> it's like Ernest T. Bass when they slip Barney in there. <laughs> did any of y'all ever see that one Andy Griffith when Ernest T was wanting to marry that girl you know and he was going to kill her boyfriend and everything so Andy had Barney dress up in a, in a, a bridegroom outfit you know a bride's thing and a bride's outfit I don't know what I'm saying she a bride dress what do you anyway she got a wedding gown that's what I'm trying to say so Barney gets all dressed up, you know, in this in this wedding gown, and he's got the veil over him, and, and Ernest T. Bass, he's standing there <laughs> while they're going through all the vows, he said, Andy says, now you may kiss the bride, and Ernest T. picked that up, and he said, Barney! <laughs> he was trying to kill him. Barney's running everywhere, and he's losing his... He said, don't you kiss me, Ernest T. So here you go. <laughs> Jacob, man, he worked seven years. And he's, he thinks he's going to get Rachel, man. He is, he's already, he's going, going to be a good night tonight. He said, man, <laughs> y'all might as well get down to earth. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's going, man, going to be a good time. Working, I've been working so hard. May kiss the bride. Oh, and they slipped in Leah. Which was Rachel's sister in the, and Leah actually the margin says that she was a a good woman.
1: She was just
0: kind of homely looking. She didn't exactly crank his tractor. And he he saw Leah, but he had to marry Leah. Later on, he got to marry Rachel, had to work seven more years. That's true love, to marry Rachel. But did you know that, that God would not allow Rachel to become pregnant or to have children until he had children with Leah? God and Jacob's, and Jacob's got his own problems to deal with anyway, doesn't he? He's called a God, no less. But he's a project. <laughs> Look at somebody and say, You're a project. How <laughs> I many glad you're God's project? He's working on you, he don't give up on you. You're a project, I can tell you. And so here, God's got him going through all of these experiences. Because he's just remaking him, isn't he? He's really changing his name from Jacob to Israel from being a deceiver to being a prince who has power with God and with man. And so he really, he's going through a personality change. And he goes through all these experiences and he's betrayed by his father-in-law and he goes through all of these changes. He's got to go back home. But God demanded that he would be fruitful with Leah before he would allow him to be fruitful with Rachel. That means this. When you're serving, God will demand that you are fruitful with ugly things. God will demand that you're fruitful with things you don't like to do or things you don't want before he will allow you to be fruitful in areas that you do love and are beautiful to you. And as soon as you lift up the veil and you see Lee instead of Rachel, and you say, This is the ministry. I've seen it happen on so many people's faces as soon as they sign up, We're going to save the Lord. I'm going to save the Lord. I say, You say, I do? I do. Lift up the veil and go, Ah. <laughs> and what you're requiring them to do and what you're asking them to do is not something that's pleasant to them, it's not something they want to do. And so a lot of them will run right then, they go, they take off running. I had it. I had enough. This is not what I had in mind. And I'm not doing this. I'm, I don't feel lead, so I always give them a pencil so they can feel it any They don't feel lead. I say, here, feel that. It's made out of lead, and that way they can feel lead to do whatever you're requiring them to do. And a lot of times people say, well, you know, I feel frustrated working in this particular area or serving in this area. I'm frustrated then always as a pastor, you'll have some evangelist come in and say, well, if you're frustrated working in an area, then it's probably not the place that God has graced you to serve. Now, just write it down. That peanut that said that has never pastored a church. He never has. You say, why? Because God will require everybody to serve in areas that they don't particularly like. And unless you can serve in an area you don't like and then get happy about it, you ain't never going to find Rachel. You're not ever going to find your ideal situation to serve until you're fruitful in something that, is, that, is, that you don't like. Is that right? How many understand that? So even though you may be frustrated serving in that particular area, if you'll go ahead and get happy about it, get the attitude of a servant, and go ahead and be fruitful in that place, and I believe God will get to where he, he sees that he can trust you. And then he'll bring along the ideal situation. And you'll say, now that's what I like. That's what I've been wanting. And God said, well, I couldn't have got you there if you hadn't been willing to be fruitful here. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 So in serving in so many areas, you've got, you've got Joshua serving. Moses, the pattern is you got Joshua serving Moses, you've got uh, Elisha serving Elijah, you've got Timothy serving Paul. And so you've got to go beyond just the, the teacher to the mentor to allowing someone to be a Not just a pastor. Every pastor is not a spiritual father. But someone that has an anointing of a father that is able to train sons and daughters. And then stay close enough to where you can get your instruction. Just stay close enough to you can get it. Hallelujah. All right, let me give you this. Here's one of the keys to being able to receive. Here's your inheritance from somebody that you're serving or a ministry that you're serving. Are you ready? Number one is you will receive an inheritance of wisdom or wisdom or revelation. Wisdom or revelation. In other words, many times God will give them things just to give to you. Wisdom or revelation, that's an inheritance you get from a spiritual father. Second thing is you, you catch the same anointing. You catch the same anointing. Third thing is you catch the same spirit of faith. Fourth thing will be, let's just say it this way, Epaphroditus got his recommendation to the church from Paul. In other words, that means this. There are other relationships that will be made available to you if you'll pass the test of serving. In other words, what got you to this point, there'll be other relationships that'll come that'll help you get to the next point. And they'll come. That's a part of your inheritance. Hallelujah. How many of you know that's a part of your inheritance? And you're serving there will be other relationships that will come. And he just got that recommendation from the Apostle Paul. The last one <clears throat> will simply be that you can inherit uh, wealth or even prosperity. Let's just say it this way: your level of wealth or prosperity will generally rise to the level of whoever you're serving. If you'll serve, keep your attitude right, just keep serving, keep serving, pay the price. You've asked a hard thing. Now pay the price. You pay the price. You go through the tough times. You go through the difficult times. And then you'll catch the same anointing and you get the same blessing. Praise God. <clears throat> now here's the key, and I'm going to close with this here, and that is to honor, to honor, and if you're going to honor a servant of God. Someone said it this way in one of their One of their magazines. And it said, it's impossible for you to receive the anointing from a minister that you criticize. Now, that don't mean you can sit and listen to anybody and you, you can pretty much learn from anybody. But if you're going to receive an impartation of anointing from somebody, if you listen to a lot of criticism or you participate in a lot of criticism, Then you're doing something to your own spirit that when the glory comes and the anointing that's up on that minister, whether you understand it or not, you won't be able to receive it if you're in the critic's corner. You're sitting in the seat of the scornful. In other words, you're criticized. Now, uh, that doesn't mean that there certainly are not things that need to be criticized about anybody. I mean, you can find things that are critical and things that you can criticize about really anybody. But you just careful. You just say, no, I don't get in that seat. Because the gift of God that they have, and I know there's something I need to receive from them, and I'll just have to trust God to straighten them out in that department. How many think God's big enough? There is a God and you're not him. Even my natural parents knew that that there was a time when they, you know, you don't whip somebody the same way if they're eight years old and if they're 16. Some little kid's 16 years old, you take them in there and you might want to work them over because you know exactly what they need. But boy, when they get to be 16, you try that. And you'll stir up more devils than you can cast out. Either that or you'll break their spirit. And they'll never be right. That's that right? Now, the same thing is true in the realm of the spirit. There's ways that God will deal with you when you've been serving him for five years, and there's ways he'll deal with you when he's been, you've been serving for 10 years. There's ways he'll deal with you after 20 years, and there's ways he'll deal with you after 30 years, but he deals with you differently based on who you are, and God's big enough to see the whole picture. And my parents knew that when I reached a certain age, they knew that there is a God, and they're not here. And they would just, when they used to be a little, they'd just give me a hint and say, "Here's a hint. It's all yours now." Hallelujah. And you walk away. You say, "Why?" Well, because you know there's different ways you learn. And so, so do not be caught. In the position of being in a critic's place, thinking that that God has anointed you to correct your pastor. He may look dumb, but he ain't near as dumb as you think he is. And there is a whooper around that's whooped in in the past and ain't ever been whooped. His name's God, <laughs> and so I can tell you, you better be careful that you ain't the one in there thinking you're gonna sat, you're gonna take care of the whooping. You just better back off and just say, "All right, I realize this thing's supernatural. That Jesus is ahead head of the church. I'm not the head of the church, and uh, He told me He planted me." If he told me to stay, I'm still here, and there's a reason why he told me to stay here, and he told me to stay here to help, not to correct. God never sent you to any church to correct it. You say, why? It's not proper protocol. A pastor's corrected by a bishop, and you ain't. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Glory to God. And so you better be careful and stay out of that because you'll get in something that can damage you spiritually. And the Holy Ghost is smart enough to know that you pray and you're in touch with God. The Holy Ghost is smart enough to know what's going on. And if he tells you, you better get your parachute and bail, baby. You just better bail. Whoa! Jump out that flame and bail because God's got another landing place for you. Amen? But the Holy Ghost is smart enough to know that and you got the Holy Ghost in you, so you know that. Amen? So it's impossible to receive from anointing that you criticize. That's why the devil will try to get you in on that when you need to receive something from that ministry and the devil's trying to shut that avenue off. And so I see that with my spiritual father, who's Brother Hagan, and I've been in, a, I've been in a, a crossfire with some of my best friends as they, as they attack my spiritual father. Now I just told him, I said, just let me tell you something now. I'm out of here. I love you, but I want you to know I know which side of the bread that the butter's on, (laughs) right? And I'm out of here because I know I need to receive the anointing. And if he does need a whooping, I know Jesus, the head of the church, is able to whoop him. But it's my job to stay around and help him if he needs to go through the whooping. I'll be here to help him while he's getting whooped. Hallelujah. Because the day may come you might need a whooping and you might need somebody there. Hallelujah. And so you just got to be careful. You just jump, don't jump in on that critic because really the devil's his number one thing. He's the accuser of the brethren. So that means he's always going to try to find something wrong with you and try to point that out to anybody. And you'll think it's the Holy Ghost. It might be the Holy Goose, but it ain't the Holy Ghost. (laughs) The Holy Ghost is the lifting power in the church. He's always trying to lift and help people, even in times when they're making adjustments. And so uh, you can't receive from from people that you criticize. So let's just say this. When Paul said, receive Epaphroditus, he told them how to receive him. Isn't that right? Here's how you receive him. If Epaphroditus would have come back to Paul and say, Paul, they didn't receive me that way, well, they wouldn't even pay attention. They treated me like I was an outcast. Well, I guarantee you, the next letter, he told them how to receive him. Now, uh, I noticed this from preaching for uh, Keith Butler. And we're going to preach for him in Atlanta Sunday. And I noticed that, that he taught his people how to receive the messenger or the servant of God, are the ministry gift. Because the way you receive that ministry gift will determine whether you're able to receive the message or receive the anointing. You can't receive the anointing if you're not receiving the gift properly. So you say, how do you do that? Well, Paul says, hold him in high esteem. And so, so when you've got somebody coming in, and I sit with preachers all the time, I know everything about them. But if you want to receive the anointing, there's a gift of God that's in them. There has to be some honor. So if there's going to be that honor. What is that honor? How do you honor somebody? And many times we don't really know that much about it, do we? Or we had not been taught. Just like you've got to be taught about faith or healing. Somebody's got to teach us about how do you honor the gift of God. Because you'll go to some churches out here in the country, run 50 people, always will run 50 people. And they treat their pastor just like he's their buddy an old Joe they hang out with. Talk to him any way they want to talk to. Now let me tell you this. You try that with me, you're liable to pull back a nub. You say why? Not because of who I think I am, but because the day may come that if the doctor tells you, you got cancer and I allow you to treat me that way. I won't have the place in your life to be able to speak to that thing because I've allowed you to talk any way you want to me. Now, I'm a, a pastor, but I'm also a spiritual father. That means this. As a spiritual father, now, I got a son, Aaron. And I was his father, but I, I, I was also his friend, but you really couldn't say that I was just his buddy. We were buddies, and we went swimming and stuff, but he knew that when you cross that line, baby, you just passed from friend and you just met dad. And dad, who loves you, is going to make sure you don't have that kind of attitude. And so let's, let's work it out here. And so that's some weakness in some parents is the same weakness that you have in some churches is that, that if you need acceptance so much as a parent, you're so afraid of rejection, you won't correct your children. Because you'd rather be their friend than to be their parent. Well, that may work a little a little while, but there'll come a day that they'll resent that. Honor. All right, write this down. Here's how to honor. We'll close with this. Number one to honor is to treat with great consideration. Treat with great consideration. To treat with great consideration. To regard highly or to esteem regard highly or esteem to treat with deference and courtesy deference means you defer to them to treat with deference and courtesy next y'all doing okay so far treat with great consideration regard highly to esteem highly to treat with deference and courtesy to treat as valuable Esteem of the highest degree. Valuable esteem of the highest degree to treat with dignity and precious. To treat with dignity and precious. Valuable. Very valuable. In these kinds of relationships, you would rather be honorable than to be right. That means this, when you're dealing with somebody in spiritual authority over you, you'd rather do the honorable thing, you understand, than to be argumentative and try to prove you're right, and then you're dishonoring. It'd be better just to... Somebody said, the more arguments you win, the more friends you lose. So, sometimes you're just better off saying, well, why don't you be right this time? (laughs) Hallelujah. Glory to God. So spiritual fathers, learning to honor those who are over you in the Lord. And then as a pastor uh, and as a spiritual father, I do my best to, uh, to treat or to teach sons and daughters how to treat a spiritual father, not only how to treat me, but I try to, to ex- exemplify that in the way that I would treat my dad, who is a spiritual father, and the way I would treat Kenneth Hagin, who would be my spiritual father. So I try to exemplify that. And then when guest ministers come in, then I try to treat them where you'd be able to receive their anointing. Now there's several ways you can honor somebody. Now, you don't always have to dishonor somebody. Sometimes just lack of honor is dishonor. In other words, you don't have to do something to dishonor somebody. You can't just do nothing, and that is dishonor. So to, to, to do something honorable, you just have to, to know what the honorable thing to do is and then do something that is honorable. And then don't just say, well, I, you know, I forgot or do nothing. Or, what, what is the honorable thing? Now, this is indeed dealing with spiritual authority, but let's just say this, too, about... Uh, Uh, husbands and wives even with even in in the husband's case the wife is to what does it say I love the amplified translation of that where it talks about honoring and respecting and all that but it really says the same thing for the husband to honor the wife the same way to give her honor and so if you see over in Ephesians where it says return to your to your first love the way you return to your first love is you've got to do the first works. So a lot of times people say, I wish I had my first love back. Well, you've got to do the first works. If you want your first love for Jesus, then do the first works you did when you first fell in love with him. If you want your first love back in your marriage, then you've got to do the first works. So like with Trent, I say, now. now let's see, it's been how many years now? My first works... Oh glory. That's pretty sad, I can tell you that. Pretty bad case. <laughs> doing the first works. I mean, you're sending flowers and everywhere you go, you're buying a gift or you're calling or, or you're just writing letters and doing all these kinds of things. And then after, you know, 25 years, you say, I wonder why the fire went out. Well, the fire went out, you quit doing the first works. You get the first love. The same thing would be true in dealing in a relationship that you have in the ministry. Sometimes people, when they have an initial relationship with somebody, I just love them. Woo! I love them, I love them, I love them. You give them about five years, they go, you ain't, staying much. (laughs) Well, what, what was you doing five years ago? What happened is you got close enough to criticize, but they're still the same person. I said they're still the same person got the same anointing, same revelation. You just got close enough to get familiar, and you, and you refuse to be faithful. You say, how do you know about this? I know a person the way the Lord taught me. He said, now if you want to receive from that person's anointing again, you return back to the first works and the first honor that you had for them, and you'll catch their anointing again, because they still got it and then you just have to maintain that. Isn't that right? Husband, wife, supernatural relationships. Glory to God. So you just have to make some attitude adjustments here. The attitude of a servant, what can I do for you? Attitude of a servant, servants always handle themselves honorably. Amen. Now when he sees me, Sees me in him. For more information on Mark Hankins Ministries and for a complete list of the books and tapes that we offer, you may write Mark Hankins Ministries, P.O. Box 12863, Alexandria, Louisiana, 71315, or call 318-448-4500. Our address again is Mark Hankins Ministries, P.O. Box 12863, Alexandria, Louisiana, 71315, or call 318 448 4500. You may also visit us on our website at markhankins.org for information on upcoming events and meetings in your area. He sees me in here.